0: At the end, our tale's begun. The curtain's down, the boughs are done. Work is finished, scripts are writ, and centre stage a light is lit. That's the ghost light on its own, shining bright but all alone, except for those who hear its calls and come to revel in its halls. For though the theatre's doors are closed, its power cannot be deposed, and so we ask that you all might come join us, revel by GhostLight. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of GhostLight Rebels. I am, as ever, your host, Michael Cartlidge, and with me today is a very close friend and someone whom I have had the absolute pleasure of working with in the past, Miss Lucy Hall. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing well. Back in
0: London. Back to training. Fantastic. Well, uh, Lucy, as you know, we like to uh, start uh, these episodes with uh, discussing people's experiences, going through past, present and future. So let's start with the past. What got you started off in uh, the creative sector, as it were? So I was always a singer
1: um, and I loved singing. And in that realm, I started loving performing, um, which got me into musical theatre. Um, And then slowly I realized that the dancing side of musical theater was not my zone of genius, but the acting really lit me up. Um, And suddenly going on to perform a song, it became more about the story that I was telling than the actual feat of um, hitting any notes um, and providing any melody. Um, So that part's always useful. Um, And so I decided to go further in the acting realm and my background in literature and loving literature really helped me with that because I was already familiar with things like Shakespeare, I'd read a lot of plays and I had a real knowledge and knack for knowing the arc of a story and telling a story and having that be Almost an act of service that you are providing, rather than something that's self-indulgent that you do for yourself, um, and that only became more strong and more powerful when you really dive into the world of acting, which is basically the world of empathy, um, and the world of placing yourself in another's shoes and asking yourself how you would feel if and what you would do if. I mean, that's the magic if, but um. That's what got me started was a production, school production of We Will Rock You, of all things, where I played Meat Loaf, of all people. Um, and from then on, I started just becoming hungry for any performance opportunities, which led me to go to America, which led me to, to Glasgow, which has now got me to London.
0: Uh, uh, what was it you moved to America for?
1: So I was very lucky. I got a scholarship to a quite prestigious um boarding arts um liberal boarding art school, liberal arts boarding school, in, in America called Interlochen. Um, and I was able to yeah get a scholarship for a year to study theatre performance there. Um, which was born out of the fact that my school, although it did a show once, didn't have a drama department. Um. And so I was constantly seeking not only performances to perform in, but ways to get training. Um, and that wasn't provided on my doorstep, but I was lucky enough to get that opportunity. So I went there when I was 16, from the age of 16 to 17, and it was that was really the, the transformative year that got me committed into this way of life, because, yeah.
0: That's that's amazing, yeah.
1: uh,
0: and and then you moved to Glasgow.
1: Yeah, I moved to Glasgow, so I did my um, all my auditions for well, some auditions for drama schools in um, my last year of high school, like many do, um, and I received offers for London. But I one thing that was holding me back in my last year was the issues that I was experiencing in my mental health and. For me, going to London didn't seem like an option to do it alone, um, it just wasn't aligned with me at the time, um, but I'd received an offer in Glasgow, and I figured it would be an opportunity to, um, to move out and to gain some independence and to study, but also I would be close to home, and it was a form of baby steps and self-care at the time. Um, and they opened up so many opportunities. The trip to Glasgow was not what I, expe- what I expected, but that's where I got involved with the Shakespeare Society, like that's where I met you, mm. um, and that's where I learned so many incredible life lessons that got me prepared to move to London. So, yeah,
0: awesome. so um, let's backtrack a bit and talk about um, noted performances. You say your first uh, uh, production was uh, We Will Rock You while you were at school.
1: Yeah.
0: Tell us a bit about that.
1: of the school and everyone that got all the leads were in the upper half of the school Um, and so it was a socially it was a bit of a baptism of fire because I was you know 15 and everyone else was 17 and 18 at that time it's a really big age difference Um, but it was an incredible initiation because I had no expectations there and I had no pressure there and it wasn't something that anyone knew or thought I could do, and I think there's this trope of the drama kid and the theatre kid that we all know, that is a very pervasive stereotype that um that we all that we all know and feel, especially if you go to high school in the UK. And I got to dip my toe into into theatre without that stereotype, and it's a feeling that I go back to quite a lot whenever. I feel like I'm getting stuck and getting into rhythm or feeling like there's a lot of pressure or expectation was actually the first thing that I went and performed a song and no one knew I, no one knew that it was something that I did and I did and it was a moment for everyone of oh this is this is something you can do um and it was it was a really it was a real opener um the dancing part was was a struggle um but Milo's such a fierce character and she walks in and doesn't apologize and she doesn't apologize for any at any point for anything and so in a way it was the the perfect part that I could have because it was something that got me out of my shell
0: uh, tell us a bit about the storyline of the uh piece if you don't mind you? um so it's set-
1: from now I think um, which is quite well to think about but uh, maybe more than that where all art and all theatre has been cancelled everything's online everything's digital and it's run by the killer queen and imagine that imagine that yeah um oh that's an interesting I
0: know, I know
1: right yeah it's run by the killer queen Khashoggi um And Kishog and Kishogi, her sidekick, Um, and everyone is brainwashed into thinking the same way, except for the play's hero, um, Galileo Figaro, Um, and (coughs) (laughs) his his, this girl that he meets, uh, Scaramouche, Um, and they together go on a journey to discover and bring back music and theatre, and on the way they meet um, Meatloaf, they've met Britney Spears, um, which is kind of Meatloaf's boyfriend and counterpart, um, and they're on the run from um, Killer Queen and Khashoggi until the end, they break through and take down Cyberworld. World.
0: Fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's a really fun time.
0: Yeah. It sounds it. So, you did that show, and what sort of came next regarding performances? What came next? Um,
1: I was in a musical review show called Next Stop Broadway. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then it was really the musical theatre phase I did Les Mis um, in The Fringe, which was very, was, was very life-altering. Because, again, it was an experience where I was quite much younger than everyone else that got into it. And I was looking up to people who had been doing it for a long time, and no one really knew me. Um, or knew what I could do. So Limas was beautiful. And then what came next was, um, the performances in America that were actually more in the realms of scene studies. So um, I did, uh, Top Girls by Carol Churchill. I did Twelfth Night for the first time. Um. Mm-hmm. Playing Lady Olivia, I was in a performance of the *A Wrinkle in Time*, um, playing the Happy Medium, which again was just this fun, extroverted character that was a bit larger than life, that just took you out of the normal everyday flog in a way that straight theatre doesn't do. I think Shakespeare does that as well. It's this, it's its own um, world that you get to. Move out of, um, and but it's still grounded in our human truths. or it, it dances among the two realms really nicely.
0: Brilliant! Out of pure interest, who did you play in Lay
1: Miz, So the first time I, have never played um, a lead role in Miz. The first time I was the hair hag. It was like, nah, that at me. And then <laughs> when I did it again a year later, I was the factory bitch. So ah. I was The one that rats out Fonteyn.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, but tell us a bit more about the time spent in America the scene studies especially
1: yeah it was it was a very much a baptism of fire in my time in America because I was so new to theater I'd been doing it for a year and everyone else had been doing it since they since they grew up um, or had already been there for two years because I joined um, in my junior year and I remember the first first day of my classical acting class, the teacher said, okay, um, bring in a classical monologue and you're going to perform it in front of everyone, and that's how we're going to get started. And I had never really performed a classical monologue. I'd never performed a monologue in front of a class before. I'd never had a teacher critique me on a monologue. Like, there were all these things that I hadn't done, um, whereas the rest of the class just kind of went, yeah, sure. Um, and of course now, I would go, yeah, sure. Uh, but back then it was really, really new um, and it was it was a process of falling in love with the the art and the craft of theatre rather than just the end production. Um, whenever you're in a show sometimes it, it just feels like you're shining off the edges and making it look pretty because someone's going to see it whereas with a, with a scene study you can explore and go through it with a fine tooth comb and maybe go down realms that you wouldn't normally go through in a play because there's a million really other things to think about that you can really get into when you're doing a scene study. Um, so with Lady Olivia it was all to do with her her sadness and her darkness and how down she must genuinely be and I think that's something that's not often the in production of 12th night because that's not really what fits the arc of the story is having her be a down influence there's 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 other there's there's other people and, and and ways to explore that but when you do a scene study you can really take it out of context and that gives you more to work with um and so that was really interesting it was the first time I was ever It's opening myself up to critique and criticism and having it not all come straight at once, which was difficult. And it was the first time that I was working with the same people for a long period of time. So you work on a show and it's about three, four months. um, And when you have the same teacher for a year, they get to see far more growth from you. So it's just very, it's just very different.
0: That's bad. And, and then you came back uh, to Scotland and you ended up coming to Glasgow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I went, I went to Glasgow to study at a college, um, which was, which was fine. Um, it was semi, it was only part-time. And, and I was, that was a further development into things like Meisner, things like act, different acting techniques, but, it, um, but what really stood out in Glasgow was probably the time with the Shakespeare Society, because that was when I I got to direct for the first time, uh, which was something I never, I never thought I'd be able to do and didn't think I was able to do until I just did it, and that was when I re-experienced the what I had for the first time when I was in we will rock that sense of wonder of doing your best of no expectation um, and there's something really useful about that feeling to come back to if you've been to it for a while of okay I can ask for help I can say what do you think it can be a collaborative experience it doesn't have to be me on my own being this untouchable power on a pedestal that just dictates Open, because that, that doesn't help you in acting technique either. Acting technique is all about being open and listening in collaboration. Mm. So um, that was really incredible, um, as well as um, performing in Twelfth Night again, um, playing through Toby Belch was a very, very different character, <laughs> mm. um, and exploring the world of fun and of goofiness, but also doing... My first full-length Shakespeare play, um, which was, which was a new, a new challenge because you've got a lot of words and the words are very meaty, um, and you have to find truth behind it, and you have to find, especially with Sir Toby, there's a sense of not apologising, and not hiding behind anything, and there's no wistful traps with Sir Toby Belch, where you can just sit and muse over your words, you know, mouth them over. You really have to be present. And um... Mm.
0: And, uh, so before you came to join the Shakespeare Society, and believe me, I'm very, very glad that you did. um, Did you get involved in any productions with your college course?
1: Again, is this loud, large and in charge, extroverted character that doesn't apologise? I mean, the, the her final before like her final appearance in the show is on the ground tackling and wrestling some other women that she's had beef with for the whole play in the street, and that's the last time you see her. Um, and she, I mean, she comes on to her, she gets blackout drunk at her daughter's fourteenth birthday party, and comes on to her. Teacher, like it's it's really um, again really unapologetic, um, which makes it really fun, which opens up that sense of freedom. Um, so that was that was that production of the, the, the college course. Um, I got to get to know some beautiful people there as well, um, mm. and I'm for yeah.
0: uh, And then you get what was it that led you to the Shakespeare Society when you first auditioned for Twelfth Night?
1: I've been for Shakespeare ever since I remember I was a kid and my dad got me this book of um, abridged Shakespeare um, stories that were just the plot lines of Shakespeare for 10 year olds Mm. and I fell in love with the stories and then I started discovering the language and the marriage of the stories and the language um, really lit a fire in me and I knew that it wasn't something that was going to be done um, in that year at college and I had a lot of time on my hands. I also, by happenstance, the flat that I moved into was about two minutes from the the central uni campus uh-huh. me until Pressures Week happened and suddenly I was descended upon. Um <laughs> so it was right on my doorstep and I couldn't not try it and and I went to the audition with no sense of because in acting nothing is a given. Mm-hmm. Um, you can choose to look at that as a very negative thing of why do I bother? Why do I try? You know, it's so unpredictable. Or it can invite a sense of freedom, um, and you just you just give it a go because the chances are, especially in the professional world, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out in you know, lots of auditions people don't get, so you can show up to every audition with a, well, let's see what happens, and an openness um, to, to whatever it turns out. So I saw the audition, I was breathing the day, I thought I'd give it a go, um, and it all spiraled from there. And I knew Twelfth Night as well, because I'd done it before. Mm.
0: Yeah, and so you enjoyed playing uh, Sir Toby Belch?
1: There's a freedom in him that is interesting. There's a playing someone very, very different to you, mm. and somehow bringing so much of yourself to it that it feels like to you, that's become almost like a mini process for me, is with every character always honouring how different they are, but really latching onto the parts that are similar, as a bridge between you and the character. Mm. and then you can start to create magic and you can start to empathise and you can just get that hook into their brain and then suddenly you can make sense of other choices that don't seem so clear or aligned. So Mm. that was great with Sir Toby. Mm. Uh,
0: And then you went from acting uh, with the side to directing with it. Tell us about that.
1: Opportunity arise, and I it was something that I thought about directing, um, but I didn't. I just didn't have the confidence to apply. Um, and then I <laughs> I hurt my foot at the Christmas social, and I had to spend a few days in bed. Uh, I remember that. Oh,
0: really? I remember that now.
1: It was that new. It was the same feeling that I had when I decided to audition for my first show in high school. It was the same audition thing that got me to audition for um, for the boarding school. It's that feeling of I'll just give it a go, and even if I just get feedback, even if I just get experience writing my first directing application, it's something. It's it's better than watching Netflix, isn't it? Um and I knew which play I would ever I would want to direct because Measure for Measure for me has always been a play that's been underappreciated, undervalued, underdone, and I had so many ideas about especially the characters. Characters for me are my bread and butter when it comes to theatre. If you ask me about lighting, if you ask me about set, um I have much less to say. Um even if you ask me about plot I have less say I think for me it's it's the characters that make a show. Um and I thought the characters measure for measure were so interesting. So I applied and unbeknownst to me um until your fine self for me uh near Christmas time I was um accepted and then there was a feeling of oh no, okay, I've I've I'm doing this. Um but I was really lucky in that I had Olivia the assistant my assistant director. Um, who knew a lot about the play as well, um, and it was a re-humbling really process of coming back to being new at it, and coming back to saying, oh, what do you think, oh, what do you know, and leaning on other people, and I developed a method for directing that I think works, which is having a vision, and holding that vision, and that... Essentially being your sole and only job is to have this vision that you hold and then allowing all of the individual people and actors and collaborators with their zone of genius to work in a way that feels right for them, ensuring that it's aligned with the vision. But leaning and relying on other people quite a lot in a sense that makes it collaborative, and I think that's how it's supposed to be
0: supposed
1: I, to be how it's supposed to be done.
0: I agree. Um, I will say now, regular listeners of this podcast have heard a lot about this particular production because I have already had episodes interviewing Olivia, who is the assistant director, James, who played Escalus, Eve, who of course played uh, uh, oh. Isabella, uh, and Lewis, who played the name of the characters temporarily escaped me. Lucia, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, are they all the members of the cast who I've interviewed? I think they are. Um, I've had quite a few people who were involved in the production on the podcast before.
1: It was an incredible bringing together of different souls.
0: It was. Because was doing in college with me, um,
1: and now she, and then she came to the society. Mm-hmm. And, um, Lewis was doing Theatre with Eve, and mm-hmm.
0: then
1: he came to the Society, and yes. I came to the Society, and I don't want to say open the Society up, but it, it...
0: You're not wrong, though.
1: It invoked a, 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 a just a bringing together of really kindred spirits, mm. and had, would that have happened with any other production? Probably, possibly, but I was really glad that it happened in something that I was able to mm. um, be taking lead in. Mm. and that everyone, and that I was able to have such a positive, fairly stress-free
0: experience. Mm. I, I, I remember, we will go over that later, because uh, I always like to talk about time shared with my interviewees, but um, uh, I would like to briefly give an overview of the plot of Measure for Measure, though I'm fairly certain our listeners will remember it from previous uh, episodes.
1: The plot of Measure for Measure? Yes.
0: So, Oh, it um, is not a well-known one.
1: The well-known one.
0: It is not a well-known one.
1: It's not a well-known one. I know it's starting to become more and more. I think as people are people are starting people are starting to are starting to make and um, uh, abuse of women
0: and mm. um, starting to become more
1: in the in the mainstream, which I'm so thankful for. Um, but yeah, we're met with the Duke of Vienna, who decides to. Play a trick on his people, um, because he's seeing that lechery and debauchery and all these bad unchristian things are starting to happen, and he decides to leave and put um this Puritanical leader Angelo in charge and disguise himself to watch what happens. Uh Puritanical lead- leader in Angelo comes in charge and, as suspected, starts to crack down on all the civilians of Vienna, um, basically starting with Claudio, um, who has got his wife pregnant without really properly marrying her, there's been no dowry exchange, um, and sentences him to death. And Claudio's best friend, Luccio, goes to uh, Claudio's sister, Isabella, Who is currently training to be a nun and asks her to go and speak to Angelo because Isabella will speak his language and try and entreat Angelo not to kill Claudio and to spare his life. And from then on, as Isabella is plunged into this twisted road um, uh, in order to try and save her brother's life uh, with a million different obstacles and tricks thrown her way um, and it all culminates when the Duke decides to come back and reveal himself, reveal that he's played a trick on everyone um, and, spoilers here, the Duke decides in the end to marry
0: Isabella. Mm. It, 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 the plot in a nutshell. Yep, yep. an incredibly convoluted nutshell.
1: And it's a comedy! It,
0: it is! Comedy. It's a problem play is what it is.
1: there are lines that are actually quite funny in very inappropriate places (laughs) Um, and yeah the themes of it are really I mean that's what's great about Shakespeare is that most of the most of the plays when you boil the themes down are very 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 relevant today I mean you think of Julius Caesar you think of all these um, these plays that were written and based hundreds and hundreds of years ago are still relevant now but it's a lot of it is about abuse of power and um, the people at the top not being just and not being fair and how a lot of right doing and nurturing falls on women it's a lot of women cleaning up the messes that have been placed by by men and having to look after men in the aftermath so you've got the the devoted girlfriend slash wife of Angelo who S- saves his life at the end and you've got Isabella who doesn't want to be involved with any of this, doesn't want to get married, has to save her brother's life, you know, and it, it's that, that, you really get to dive deep in, and then of course there's, there's a sexual assault which is, um, which is another really, really common um, uh, conversation that we're having in society right now. You know, when Isabella says, uh, to whom shall I complain, did I speak of this, who will believe me, anyone that was up to date with the Time's Up movement goes, "Oh, ooh, ooh that's, a, that's an interesting phrase. Um, and there's a value in seeing sometimes how little things have changed. Mm.
0: So, mm. Yeah. And uh, then after uh, your time with Shakespeare Society, you moved down to London.
1: changed a lot in the time that I have um, been here, but it's um, essentially a two-year um, rep programme, where, and it's a three-year programme distilled into a two-year programme, so when it's accelerated training, um, and it covers the basics of, um, goes back to the basics of actor technique, um, and uh, a a movement, it's heavily movement focused, um, as a focus on devising and creating your own work, which is um, a kind of unique point, uh, especially now in the industry where graduates don't have to feel like they are completely reliant on being cast in something, but they have the tools they need to create their own work. Um, There's a heavy sense of ensemble, and lots of unique opportunities that came with Fourth Monkey. So, um, a Comedia intensive. We do a lot of work with Bertovsky. Um, although you study Stanislavski and uh Meisner is the main form of um, actor training there. Um, and as well as that, you do a lot of shows. So in your final year, which I'm not in yet, you do two public performances. You do a showcase. Um. And there's this lovely balance of traditional actor training and um, contemporary devising, rep, physical theater um, that really spoke to me, that marriage, as well as the empowerment that it gives. Um, the traditional drama school route didn't feel completely aligned to me, um, and this was a great, um, a great alternative. And of course now, to anyone who's interested, they changed the course slightly, and it's a VA now. Um so it's a two year VA and you get to experience all of this, um, as well as coming out with a qualification at the end. So, um it's it's changed it's changed a lot in the year and it has changed a lot because we were shut down for months. Um but uh we are back we're back to business now. Um and yeah, that was another everything happened step by step, I think, in this creative theater path, Um, and the the wonder that comes when you don't have to put pressure on yourself to be Meryl Streep immediately, you can start with, I'm going to do my first show, and then I'm going to do my second show, and then I'm going to study this deeper, and then I'm going to try a new avenue, and then I'm going to move slightly far away, and then I'm going to move further far away, and you keep making yourself 2%, 5% better every time you do something, and you put your ten thousand hours in and it's a practice um, more than anything um, so yeah that was the next aligned step for me in my um, theatre journey and it's it's worked out very well
0: excellent well i think that rounds off uh, the past section quite well so let's talk a bit more about the present what is it you're currently up to uh with the uh, fourth oh, monkey um,
1: Um, a four-week play project of a, way, a play called the Three Winters, um, which is set in Croatia over three um, generations, and now we're in a play project of Hamlet, of all plays, um, and so that marriage of classical contemporary always. Um, so yeah, I'm currently playing Guildenstern in a very short, we've um, managed to get the full Hamlet uh, and cut it down to an hour and a half um. So it's a beautifully condensed version of Hamlet. Um. But it's a great. It's a great challenge. Every part comes with its own challenge. And the thing about Rosencrantz and, and Guildenstern is that they are in it a lot, and they're constantly in and out, and they're in the background and they're watching and they're seeing all this go down. And there's a lot of work of listening and a lot of work of, um, especially because we have, I think, six or eight different hamlets. So you're working with a different Hamlet every different every single time. Um I don't think any first year is ready to play Hamlet all by themselves. Um, <laughs> maybe some are. Um but that's basically the, the the project right now is doing a little with a lot because they're quite complicated characters and you don't have a lot of time to or a lot of words to show their journey in. So that's the current acting challenge that's being presented to me
0: impressive and um uh, what uh do you know particularly what the projects that you'll be doing over the next uh sort of year or so will be
1: uh yeah we've got it pretty nicely mapped out so we are doing a three-week um commedia del intensive next up which is going to be a lot of fun uh and then we are studying um American, so we're going to have an American play project, yet that's yet to be in Amsterdam. Um Coming up, there will be a full contemporary season, uh, where we'll just do a full play that will be open to the public, a full classical season, um, there'll be a showcase at the end of the two years, so an ancient showcase. Um, there'll be an con- uh, experimental fringe, uh, which is something unique that I think that happens at Fourth Monkey, where we create a 10-15 minute work um, and we pitch it, and we perform it, and we direct it, and we cast it, and we organise it ourselves. And then uh, it's a public performance; people come and see it, and answer some questions about it. And at the end, there is one grant um, given for one of these works to be put in to be commissioned into a full work. Um, so that uh, that is coming up, as well as an ensemble devising season. Uh, we're working with a mind practitioner at the moment. Uh, we've been doing mind classes since the start, so we're working with um, the structures of mind to create uh, an ensemble piece within us, that's coming up, um, as well as as well as well going back to technique and going back to classes. So in voice classes, currently we're studying accents, um, I won't bore you with my dairy accent, but that's what we're doing, um, as, and then doing a lot of solo text work, so working on monologues, um, because we will be creating show wheels soon. So yep. it's quite packed. There's quite a lot coming
0: up. Quite a lot coming up. <laughs> um, is there anything else you're involved in currently, perhaps outside of uh, academic work?
1: Outside of academic work, I am working on a lot of poetry. I've been writing a lot of poetry, and I'm hoping to put together a collection um, soon. Um uh, just about my my journey more with spirituality, that's been something that's um, gone alongside quite beautifully. My acting work is my um, spiritual, my self-empowerment journey and especially when you're an actor and you work with yourself and you are your instrument um, and you're working with so much of yourself, um, really getting to know yourself um, and improving yourself and Connecting yourself to higher sources or just to other people um, is a really valuable lesson and um, it's not something that I got into um, as an actor, it's something that I got into as a human um, with quite a lot to work through um, and that has been lighting me up and I have been exploring um, leadership and mentorship in that realm which has been beautiful and infusing creativity as a form of self-empowerment and self-development as a practice that you can use to self-heal and intuitively heal Um, whether that be writing or journaling or acting or painting uh, there's something beautiful about it because you're creating it with yourself and you can express yourself and work through things by yourself and have it be something that you can take complete ownership and credit for, um, especially if it's something independent like writing. Um, you can take yourself through your own psyche, in a way. So that's been lighting up a lot as well.
0: Very nice. Uh, I think that covers present quite well. Well, you're arguably up to more currently than uh, most of my interviewees on this. Um, well the Covid uh, restrictions allowing. Uh, so let's talk a bit about future. There are a couple of roads we can go there. Firstly, where do you sort of see yourself in the next couple of years realistically? Realistically I think it's the
1: question because mm. everything's flipping, isn't it? Um, mm. A, not as a, um, an end of, I don't know how many Zoom productions I want to watch, um, but as a means of allowing more freedom for actors, um, there's so much pressure placed on travelling in time for auditions, and as things move more online, I think that will allow more time freedom for creatives and actors to explore. So something I see myself doing, is traveling um in the next year and a bit once I've graduated um the first year is gonna the next year is gonna be all about pouring myself into my final year of drama school and um, my productions and showcases uh, and then I see myself traveling um and immersing myself in the world of auditions and shows. Um, creating my own work. I would love to take a, being an Edinburgh native, uh, taking my own show to the Edinburgh Fringe, um, whether that be in 2021, 2022, not 2021 probably, Um, but in the next few years, um, it's just uh, a bucket list uh, that I want to tick off. Um, And yeah, immersing myself into the world of the industry in a way that feels right for me, um, and in a way that makes me feel empowered and embodied and gives me a sense of autonomy and, and, and freedom. Um, so not necessarily following what I feel the pressure is to do. But enjoying the freedom of creating my own schedule and discovering opportunities for myself and showing up with that sense of, I'll give it a go and I'll see what happens. Um, That was where the magic lies for me.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Um, What do you feel your sort of end goal is regarding uh, theatre?
1: I would love to work in film and television. I'm adoring theatre um, and it is my staple and it's my bread and butter um, in terms of technique and experience but as I think when when lockdown happened and things were brought indoors um, and I started watching first of all theatre on, on video uh, and seeing how that works quite nicely uh, and then watching a lot more films and um, and falling in love with it as an art form um, and that marriage of there's things that film will offer that theatre doesn't and there's things that theatre offers that film doesn't and an actor that does both and television is doing some really exciting things as well mm-hmm. um, and marriage, the marriage of screen and um, theatre acting I think is what makes a really well-rounded actor so I see myself working in both and exploring screen work a lot more in, in the future um, I see myself being one of those creatives with a lot of hyphens in their name. So when I'm not acting, I'm writing. When I'm not writing, I'm directing. When I'm not directing, I'm creating. When I'm not creating, I'm... Um, who knows? It, it, no, it, and, and creating a life of not putting myself in a box as an actor, but being open to whatever experiences make me feel good and make me feel um, inspired because I think so much of being an actor, you are just a professional human and if you spend all your time when you're not working and waiting on the phone to ring, who knows, if you spend all that time in a state of contraction and in a state of angst and just waiting then and not living your life, then you show up for your first day on the job and it's like a dancer that hasn't stretched or a musician that hasn't practiced their their scales because you've not been living. Um, and so I see myself creating a life that is full and following um, opportunities that feel right and never saying never, say never and never saying no.
0: And um, another question regarding the video this is more an aspirational one. Suppose I were to tell you that you could put on any production you wanted, this is returning to the world of theatre for a moment, any production you wanted, sort of budget, no object and so forth, what would you want to do?
1: Oh, um, the first thing that comes to mind is a production of A streetcar named Desire. Uh It is a play that's so close to me. The character Blanche is the character that is so close to me, um, and the production um, that was at the Young Vic um, with Gillian Anderson um, as Blanche and Vanessa Kirby as Stella um, was one was one of the defining productions that I watched that invested me completely in the world of acting. But I think. this goes for shakespeare and this goes for any iconic shows it can be done i love talking about the rule of three so it's like it can be done this way where you do it very traditionally and you you know you 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 anchor in the vivian lee and in the 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 han it's very surface level or you can do it this way where you completely make it completely modern and you try and strip it of the old and vintage glamour that it's infused with um and i think that's done with shakespeare a lot too where it's like you either have you have the you either do it completely traditionally and you you stick yourself up and you think that you need an the accent or you put it so far in the modern setting that it loses the magic that shakespeare's given it and then there's that beautiful middle ground where you anchor it in truth and in human experience and in this endless possibility um and a production of streetcar that really uses everything that the text has to offer um with an incredible director um in uh in in a in a large theater um with a beautiful set and some movement sequences and some poetry, and I'm really fleshing out the, the play. I think I would do a
0: really, really well production of desire. That sounds amazing, and <laughs> I kind of hope you get the opportunity to do it. It's a great play. Yeah, it's such a good play. Mm, such a good play. Anyway, that sort of rounds off our talk about what the future may hold. Before we end, as you know, I like to reminisce a bit about time shared with my interviewees, you and I, of course, met uh, when you first joined the Shakespeare Society, and we did Twelfth Night together. Uh, you as Sir Toby Belch, me as Malvolio. It was, it was a, it was a fantastic time for me. I won't lie, because you never fails to milk a scene we were both in for all the comedic value it was worth. What else are you supposed to do with that
1: scene except? Plan it up. Well, I, part of what
0: always impressed me was that you knew exactly how to treat the scene despite the fact that neither you nor I were, shall we say, traditional casts for our roles. Leaving aside the fact that I've been told by pretty much everyone I've ever known that I'd make a great Malvolio. Yeah, do you not think you're a traditional cast for Malvolio? Not when I was 22 and <laughs> 6 foot tall. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I looked very mature, I looked a very mature 22, um, or, was I twenty? No, I was 22. Um, uh, But traditionally Malvolio is played by an older gentleman. Obviously, we were a student society, there are limits, but even so, it is... Meanwhile, Sir Toby Belch, who is usually portrayed by a rather, by an older, sort of, more corpulent gentleman, was played by this young, attractive... Scottish girl. Thank you. Mm. And it was... I think that added to the humour of it, because there were... it just... because your interpretation of was never in any way intimidated by Malvolio despite the fact that he literally looms over you. Uh, I, I thought... Well, it, I remember... I remember during one rehearsal where we were rehearsing the scene where he's telling you all off for being drunk and you actually hit me in the face. <laughs> Yeah, it was when, it, when you're meant to go rub your chain with crumbs, indeed. A bit of background in this. In this scene, Satobi and Sir Andrew have come back late at night very drunk. Uh, Malvolio has been woken up and so comes out in pyjamas and a nightcap, like an Ebenezer Scrooge-style one. And Lucy got it into her head uh, during rehearsals that it would be a really funny thing if Sir Toby just sort of bats at the tassel of the nightcap. And on one occasion she did, it, she caught my nose. Oh, I think I do remember this. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. No, oh, oh, they all thought it was hilarious, on par with me screaming when someone dropped my hat. Um, I don't know if I've ever told that story, but that's for another time. Uh, but no, it was a great production, and I I really enjoyed working with you in that one. We, well, we here's the thing. I, I can be kind of oblivious to when people are friendly with me to the extent where I didn't realise just how fond of you I'd become until... Re- you know what I mean. Until I was chatting to Rebecca and she commented on how well you and I seem to get along. And it sort of occurred to me, yeah, we do really, don't we? Well, it, was, it was great fun. Great fun. Just always just always knowing how to make people laugh. Uh, and then measure for measure happened. And I've discussed this from many different viewpoints. Um, um The actor playing the Duke was terrible, wasn't he? Absolutely appalling. It's so bad. So like... bad. <laughs> uh, if you're a regular listener of this podcast and you haven't figured out that I was the one playing the Duke by now, then you're clearly not listening. <laughs> that was some of the most fun I've ever had doing a show. Yeah, yeah. It has to be. I mean, I think especially when you're doing
1: you're dealing with a dark like with a dark play. Yes. Because, um, you have to make it fun. Otherwise, I mean, one, well, people want to enjoy it, but two, our subconscious protectiveness um comes in and we don't commit as much um so it, had, it had to be fun i wasn't gonna if it if it could have been many many things but i thought i can at least make this enjoyable as we experience mm. as we traverse these realms together it,
0: it was a weird experience for me because i'd never done what one might describe as a leading role in a shakespeare play before and i, I was also producing the show of course. And I ended up essentially stage managing it. Yeah. By complete coincidence. Um, uh, it, 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 it did offer me the opportunity to acquire a lot of new costumes, which I'm very proud of. Yeah. A lot of new stuff. Do
1: you remember what you said when you got the
0: car? Not off the top of my head. No, I remember I just I remember I had just come out of the bank. Uh, Oh, now I remember. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think it was a great. I hope it was a great um, confidence boost for you in
0: your. It, it was. It was. It was something I really needed. Especially that would be the last on stage role that I would have for nearly a year. Um, due to various reasons. Uh, mostly getting rejected from auditions. Uh, but. Uh, I did a lot of more backstage work the year, sort of following that, which I really came to enjoy. Um, but it was just a great experience. And you were such a brilliant director. Thank you. You were such a brilliant director. And everyone I know who did the show pretty much has very fond memories of it. Uh, certainly, I consider it to be a very important show in my life because it's uh, because through it I met several people who I'm still very close to and still uh, very good friends with and still collaborate with, like uh, Lewis and uh, Eve and so forth, who I would never have met if it weren't for you. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that. Like,
1: we have so many ideas about the acting industry and how terrible and competitive it is and how hard it is, but I think we really miss out how wonderful it is in the conversations about it, you Mm. know, and the biggest most wonderful part about it I think is the people um, um, as well as what you're doing and so even if you just had an amazing experience even if just wait then that's that's enough for me and that puts my that puts my work like that's the most important thing
0: mm. so,
1: so, I'm so I'm so glad that you enjoyed it and I'm so mm. glad that you had that experience and that I had that experience and it gave me more confidence as well, so, and it was, as direct, I would encourage every actor, if they have it, and if they feel called to, direct, because it changes your outlook on the entire process so much. Mm. Um, and yeah, you were you were wonderful, and you, you were so open to direction, and you were so open to the, the way that it was going, and you, I mean, you were producing, you were state like, we,
0: the, the production really wouldn't not, would not have happened without you, so. Thank you. Uh, would have happened without either of us, really, would it? It really wouldn't yeah. and it was I We probably haven't done. No, it was a brilliant, uh, I remember I was chatting to, uh, I interviewed James on the podcast, and he recalled, uh, during the production, near the end, uh, you may you may remember on the last night yes that probably it 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 it, yeah. it, it was the epitome of what i've always said concerning the rules of ad libbing on stage you are safe provided the audience laughs yeah so Absolutely. i'm like so when he when he said that and the audience laughed i was fighting to keep a straight face and i'm like OK, you could possibly get away with that, but only because it's the last night and you're not going to do it again.
1: Yeah. I saw it, and I, I, I saw him afterwards. And I was like, I could tell you off for it, but...
0: What would be the point?
1: and it worked. And it's the last night, and we're all going to go to the after party. So.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh For those who have forgotten what was mentioned in uh, James's interview, um, in the in the final scene of Measure for Measure, the character of the Duke, having revealed himself to be the Duke, is going around basically passing judgments on all the other characters, and he says to James' his character of Aeschylus, what thou hast said, sir, for Aeschylus had said some slightly mean stuff about the Duke, though I argue nothing that wasn't completely warranted. Uh, what you have spoke, sir, I pardon, and on the last night, James very audibly, uh, and he did say perhaps louder than he'd intended, went, oh, thank fuck. Which the audience thought was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. Mm. The things we do.
1: things we do in in, in art, and
0: then we look back on it. I'm not going to lie, I was distraught when you said you'd be moving down to London. Were you? Mm. Because I knew I'd miss you.
1: and I just needed some theatre in my life and I told Mum that I was doing it and she was like, oh Michael was there wasn't he? And I was like, yeah he he was, how did did you know? And she was like, I knew he'd come. (coughs) She's, yeah, so she clearly, even though she doesn't know you very well, thinks very, you know, highly of you and and those are we bonds.
0: That's very sweet sweet. I, I, mean, I, mean, right so I am aware, and I was, I was potentially going to be coming down in October, but that's looking unlikely to happen now. For for auditions. Uh, no, for a friend's wedding. Oh. Uh... There, there is auditions too. Hopefully, uh, and hopefully it will be a point at which because I I I made applications to drama schools last year, but it was right when COVID started, so we all ended up doing video auditions, which I think is part of the reason that I was rejected, because I don't video well, I don't think. Yeah, people don't, it's a whole different mm. type of fish, isn't it? It is. Well, we shall see what happens. Anyway, uh, we are, I think, approaching the end of uh, the interview. As you know, I like my guest to end on a theatrical thought. It can be a favourite speech, a favourite song, a lesson that you hope people take away from theatre, and so forth. So, Lucy, do you have a theatrical thought for us?
1: My theatrical thought to you, Michael, is the theatrical thought that we shared in the Night, tonight. And it's what I always think of when I think of you, and it's that I can no other answer make but thanks, thanks, and ever thanks.
0: I'm not crying. I'm not crying. (laughs) (laughs) Lucy, it's been so great to have you on the podcast, and it's been just so great to see you again, even if it is over a a video screen. (laughs) It is indeed. Um, As it becomes the end of another episode, I would like to remind everyone that... Depending upon where you live, uh, new restrictions are being either repealed or reinstituted. And I urge all the listeners I have, which I know isn't many, but still, please, please stay safe. We will get through this. We will all get back to the theatre. We will all get back to creating, but it can only happen if we all remain safe and vigilant. So it remains for me to say a big, big thank you to Lucy for being here. In a metaphysical sense. Uh, A big thank you to all of you listening who have, hopefully those of you particularly who have stayed with me for now 11 episodes. Um, And uh, here's hoping that I shall see you all next time and that we shall all get through this as ever. Take care, stay safe, goodbye. Our revels now are ended. We have reached the final page. And only the ghost light is left to occupy the stage, and though it may seem simple, metal filament and glass, it knows the truth we all must know, it knows this too shall pass. For now the theatre's empty, while the ghost light does still burn, but the ghost light has a meaning, it means we shall return.